0: It's more dynamic. So if you're, if you're developing a cell phone that has a six-month shelf life, consumer preferences are always changing and you know, new, new features. And so you have to be on top of that. So the cadence of your review of your portfolios might need to be more, more frequent.
1: Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofian CTO. If you are looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com That's S-O-P-H-E-O-N dot com and click the sign up and stay informed box. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Glad you joined us again. This is Paul, and I have a very nice guest today, Noel Sobelman. Noel and I have known each other for a while now. He's very active in innovation. He's currently the principal innovation practice lead at ChangeLogic. Before that, Noel was with uh, Calypso for many years, and he's worked with corporate leaders really focusing on accelerating business vitality and building new growth type of businesses. He's been at this for, for quite a while in areas of growth strategy, innovation capability, building portfolio management, organizational design, ecosystem development, and digital enablement. He's widely recognized for bringing a practical and applicable approach to companies looking to ignite change. Noel, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Paul. It's my pleasure.
1: Where are you joining us from today?
0: I'm joining you from Manchester, New Hampshire, actually. My home is in San Diego. I'm out here visiting a client. So it's actually my first trip in a little over a year. So it's it's kind of bizarre. I'm going to have to remember how to do an expense report. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah how to book a hotel all of those things right <laughs> all those
0: things glad yeah. glad to be traveling again so it's it's nice
1: I'm glad to hear that companies are opening up and and bringing people back and having sessions that uh, you can attend uh, in person so uh, have fun with that
0: yeah yeah and thanks for the introduction I, I do feel like a, an innovation lifer I mean I, I uh, an engineer who when I got out of undergrad uh, the first company I joined was Motorola. The year they won the Baldrige Award, so I got oh, I got wow. thrust into yeah <laughs> I got thrust into this six months training program where we learned all about at the time it was called Total Quality Management, all the uh, Boothroyd Dewhurst QF QFD, all the techniques that I still still ref, you know reference and find useful to the, to this day what thirty plus years later so. A great start to my career there.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna learn quality, that was the place to learn it at that time. So that's uh, it's pretty exciting. Well, you know, I know you're at you spend a lot of time with customers, and you spend a lot of time talking about innovation. How did you get involved in innovation?
0: Yeah, it really goes back to my roots as an engineer. I've always had a, a fascination with how products are developed, and I was an engineer, like I said at at Motorola, where I ended up in manufacturing, actually. And that was a great place to start for an engineer because I got to, you know, really got to learn, you know, how how, how important it was for engineers to think about manufacturability. And But I, during those years, either as a design engineer or manufacturing engineer, I always had a fascinate, fascination with how a, the, the broader business operates. So that's when I decided to go back to business school. And coming out of business school, well i should say in, in business school one of my professors was was a former cto of uh, of corning and 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 he had a class called innovation and in technology management which was just i just loved, and and i went to a school that was 100% case study so i just fell in love with with the discipline around that time and then i joined a a consultancy that specialized in in new product development now everybody calls it innovation but at the time it was new new product yeah. development and and learned a ton and I did a stint back in industry, but it was always gravitated towards helping, whether I was in, in industry or, or advising companies, I always gravitated towards building the capabilities, building the processes and, and helping companies to just get more effective at innovating. And so I did stints as a product manager, run you know, leading core teams. I mentioned I was in manufacturing, I was in engineering. So I've really touched a lot of the different functions. And the fact that Innovation is so cross functional' inherently cross functional it really was a nice fit for me because either i'm i just i like the variety that brings and and i, I just i just I've always thought it's an important part of, of growing a company It's really that engine for growth, so just working in in innovation allows you to really uh see all all aspects of the business and and it just it keeps things very interesting
1: you know noel, you mentioned innovation in manufacturing so often we use the word innovation. And we're thinking about products, but there's a tremendous amount of innovation that's just in manufacturing alone, isn't there?
0: Absolutely. One of the industries I do a lot of work in these days is the semiconductor industry. Same thing. Really, you pick the industry. There's absolutely process innovation. You know, it's not just about product, for sure. You know, now business model innovation, service innovation. So yeah, one of the first things you really have to i find that it's really helpful to really define what you mean when you say innovation you know there's different growth horizons of innovation as you know and then there's different innovate what you know so you know a- answer the you know why innovate but what i really learned from from my early days in manufacturing was the importance of thinking about manufacturability manufacturing issues life cycle costs even when you're defining a product up front or a service up front so it it's it's um it really taught me the importance of concurrent engineering or, or thinking cross functionally about this this practice. So building that into your capability to where, you know, the way I learned it was, you know, it's it's no longer you know, a relay race where marketing defines the product, hands it off to engineering to develop it, hands it off to quality to test it, and then then to manufacturing to to launch it. It really is more like a a rugby scrum where where you're you're working as a, a jointly accountable team to develop a product. So that really made a lot of sense to me in terms of how to structure a team to, to really understand the, the different dependencies across functions and and how important that is to um, to helping a company scale the right way. So. Having that cross-functional mindset, team structure really does allow a company to, to scale and, and stay entrepreneurial at the same time.
1: Yeah. if you Have you seen any link, Noel, between you take the modern smart products, which are composed of lots of features and the individual features, you know, there's the whole manufacturer ability aspect to those and the people who are designing these more sophisticated features, they can tell the manufacturing people things to look out for or how you might better manufacture this or what can we do as a design engineer to make our product more manufacturable. If, have you seen where that can affect or improve quality in the field and maybe reduce recalls? Is there any relationship there that you're you're seeing yet that may be getting better because people are working cross-functional?
0: Absolutely. Just Just really thinking about some of the risks, the things that can go wrong further upstream and working with manufacturing, in, like I said, in, in the, de- the definition phase or the, the planning phase of the process. So you're thinking about that and you're, you're sitting down together with the other functions on a team and looking at maybe some of the customer service records or some of the things that have gone wrong in the past and saying, you know, using that closed loop process to say, okay, how can we improve quality, or how can we improve the customer experience over over the the current state product? So having that mindset early, and then thinking that through, and and, and making sure that you you think about that when you're defining your product, and then when you're in development, you're designing to those those requirements. Um, so yeah, d- definitely, there's an impact on quality when you pull pull that upstream and and think about it all the way through the cycle.
1: It's hard for me to ask if there's one, but do you have a success story of your innovation or NPD journey that kind of stands out as more memorable or something you could share with us?
0: (laughs) Well, my biggest learning, Paul, has come from my failures, to to tell you the truth. (laughs) So, and what I mean by that, I was at iOmega in the, let's say, the 1999 time frame, we came out with an MP3 player. This is pre-iPod. So we, as is a storage company, we had this, they had re- removable media to store your your information. So we thought these remo- removable disks, think about it, you probably, you might have heard of a zip drive. Yeah, uh, zip
1: di- drive, absolutely. I'm, I'm dating myself, yeah.
0: but this is a miniature <laughs> version of that. So kind of a, about a silver dollar size piece of media. And we thought that was going to become digital film. That was going to become every you know digital cameras were exploding at the time, MP3 players or digital audio players were exploding. But we we thought people needed to people wanted to carry around their music like they did their albums or their cassettes or their eight tracks. So our our hypothesis that we never tested was that people want to collect their music on these discs, and we we razor blade model we'd sell tons of these discs and and we'd have a, a nice new business. However, we didn't learn. We didn't, we didn't go out, you know, today we would go out and we would test those assumptions, those hypotheses with the customer and learn and evolve a solution based on what we learned from a customer. We, we made a lot of assumptions about how com- companies would use a MP3 player with removable media. We developed it, spent lots of money developing, getting it to market, launched it. And of course it died on the shelf. So it's the old, you know, the old joke that, you know, everybody, you know, the Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Today, we would do that completely differently. So iOmega is a storage company, but we didn't know anything about the music industry or we understood computer storage, but now we're getting in the music industry. So by definition, this is a product line that we're, we're going into a completely new market with new technology. By definition, this is this is high uncertainty. So today, we would run that through more of an iterative process where we, we, we identify what are the big leap of faith assumptions, either technical or market-based, and we would test and learn, and not spend a lot of money, and not build anything until we validate some of those assumptions. And those those kinds of lessons really really stuck with me, and it really convinced me going through that experience that you really need to be ambidextrous, which is kind of where I you know what brought me to working for Change Logic today. You really there's a, there's a process that we are all familiar with, a kind of a gated development process or a stage or phase gate process for when you have lower uncertainty. And we're all familiar with that kind of process. But when you get further away from the core and you're dealing with high and extreme uncertainty, it, you need to think about a more iterative approach. So having the the, the processes and the, the systems, the, even the, the team structures to support that different way of development is, I think, kind of the next wave of, of innovation. Companies that can do both, that can walk and chew gum at the same time, can, can manage their core business and also at the same time develop new sources of growth. Using these more agile approaches are the ones that are, that are going to really prevent themselves from being disrupted, and that's I think something that I'm excited about these days. And helping companies to become ambidextrous, and and the reason working at Change Logic is so fun because the, the firm was started around those principles. The, the research of its founders, Hushman and O'Reilly, you know, they, they've got 30 years of research under their belts and answering the questions: Why is it so hard for companies to innovate? Why are companies getting disrupted? And and they came up with this this ambidextrous approach that I'm describing.
1: So uh, it's
0: great to to bring that to to our clients and and help them to manage in that that dual system.
1: Yeah, it really is so much more than just having a technology, right? There's everything else around it that that has to fall in place to be successful. It's funny you mentioned zip drive. (laughs) Just three days ago, I was rummaging through my desk at home and I found two zip drives in the back, back of a drawer and they were definitely related to to sophion in some way and i thought what in the world is on these i have no idea i have no way to recover it i have no way to recall it i was just doing a recently did a couple blog articles on corporate memory and i'm thinking great here i am living it i've got this stuff and i i can't retrieve it so you wonder how much innovation is just sitting on those zip drives that uh, yeah. you were working with way back when you'd
0: right? have to go to a museum to to, <laughs> to get the drive <laughs> To recover yeah, your data. Right, yeah, and a
1: computer that's capable of hooking to drive up to. Yeah. Yeah, that,
0: that's the other part of the story. With the with the MP3 player I was describing, solid-state memory was, I think it was, it was like 10 times as expensive as our our, our memory. And that the price of solid-state memory dropped like a rock. So instead of being $0.25 cents a megabyte, which is what our value proposition was, you know, a few years later, you can get solid-state memory. And then, of course... Apple comes out and puts an entire hard drive inside of a player and, and you can put a thousand songs on your on your device. It's completely yeah. completely yeah. different value proposition. So it's just it's just an interesting case study in, in uh, both the, the understanding the customer, how the customer will use your product, but also the technology and how that's evolving where yeah. we did not see solid state memory dropping that price that 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 rapidly. So we we got disrupted by the technology as well yeah. as the the market.
1: Yeah, and I think that's great cautions for everybody who's doing innovation today, right? Let's <laughs> have your eye out for that. Well, Noel, I know you're doing an awful lot in, in portfolio management. And I'd love, love to just d- dig into that a little bit and get your thoughts on what's working, what's not working. What does portfolio management actually mean? Uh, who's doing it well? Where are people stumbling? Can you just maybe share some some of your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, sure. So, portfolio management really is about decision making. So, providing the information for decision makers to make investment allocation decisions. I call it the link between strategy and execution. So, it it if you taking your company's strategy and then interpreting that into where we're we going to place our resources, we're we going we're we going to place our bets in order to hit the, that strategy. So, if we have a You know, if that if we have a 10 percent year over year growth objective, then maybe we need to put more in some of this longer term or higher risk reward kinds of projects. If our growth strategy is more conservative and it's two or three percent a year, then it might be okay to have a safe portfolio. So it's definitely something that I think is key because it touches strategy and it touches execution. And what some common portfolio management challenges, I actually, we just did a study on this is that many companies have a mismatch between their investment mix and their company ambition. They might have an ambition to grow or to be a certain, you know, X billion dollars in, in five years. But then when you do a bottoms up, look at what they're investing in, it doesn't match. It's too incremental. So there's, there's that challenge of that ambition mismatch. And then there's also the other thing I'm noticing is a lot of decisions are very subjective, and so how do we how do we how do we come up with more objective evaluation criteria like customer running experiments and understanding what the customers will do versus what they say they'll do? Is it it's not it's not all about financial financial metrics? So what are, what are some of the criteria we're going to use to help us prioritize and make some of those trade off decisions? So there's 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 strategic challenges that we're seeing, and then there's operational challenges. You know, how do we avoid an overloaded pipeline? And how do we you know you know how do we avoid a situation where you know we're saying yes to too many things and, and our throughput suffers? Or the, or is there too much late stage firefighting? So those are st- I'm just throwing out some of the symptoms that we see uh, when you know that you you have a problem that can be addressed by this discipline.
1: What, what do you think are some of the causes of that difference between the, you called it the mix and the ambition, you know, the, the fact that, well, we know this is what we want to do, but it's not what we're doing. Why does that happen in companies?
0: There's there's a lot of reasons. The, the, one of the the reasons, and we ask, we ask study participants this, a lot of it has to do with short-term thinking. So the incentive for the, the short-term translates into taking safe bets predictable. Bets and over time, if you do that too much, you're going to have a very conservative portfolio, regardless of what you say, what you tell the street. So part of it has to do with that that short term incentive that the, the decision makers are are how they're being measured, and I'll, and also it has it has to do with just not having that top bottoms up to match the top down. So it's easy to say, you know we we want we want to grow to these certain these certain measures or these objectives but having the tools and the capabilities to understand more than just once a year what are we actually doing what are we investing in and that's where you know ppm systems are so helpful in that you you can go from more of a static or event based once a year view of of this portfolio mismatch and you you can go to a place where it's always on if you have a if you have the data in a common database and as long as the projects are keeping their their financials their project metrics up to date you can you can very quickly see if something changes either internally or externally in the market and we need to change a, a volume projection or a project needs to slip out you can instantly see how that impacts your the value of your portfolio your, your projection so Companies that have been doing this a while that are more mature in this capability have that dynamic capability, but many companies just aren't there yet. It's more of a, you know, they have they have disconnected spreadsheets where it takes several weeks to pull together the data and then, then the data is stale and then they, they try to figure out, you know, is there, is there a mismatch or not? So part of this is just under, having the capabilities and the supporting tool sets to, to really understand where you stand at any given time and then and then doing something about it.
1: Have you noticed is there anything as a type of ind- maybe some industries doing it better than others or is there something a variable of the size of the company or the the newness of the company or any any of those that might say these industries are doing better or these types of companies are doing better you see anything like that yet or
0: I think uh, in the pharma industry because they're making billion dollar bets and it's a it might be a 10 plus year life cycle to get a, a new molecule to, to market as a drug, they are pretty sophisticated in this in this discipline. And they most of them are have the the processes and the tools and the governance and the the, the cadence of reviews of that portfolio. And they 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 have to understand resource allocation question because of their the complexities of clinical trial development. So, I think in the in the pharma industry, you'll see a lot of more mature. Tend to see a lot more mature, and then and in, in industries where they're short life cycles, so consumer electronics or in some of the high tech industries where you have rapid turnover in product life cycle or, or or short product life cycles, I should say, it's more dynamic. So, if you're if you're developing a cell phone that has a six month shelf life, consumer preferences are always changing. And you know new new features, and so you have to be on top of that. So the cadence of your review of your portfolios might need to be more more frequent. Whereas if you're building a, you know an ocean liner or a, or a, a, you know a latest uh, airplane, it's not as as frequent. So I'm using some extreme examples, obviously, but so the so when you have short life cycles, or you're making big bets, and you te- you know those kinds of industries, you tend to see more sophistication in their portfolio management processes.
1: Do you see companies from a portfolio management standpoint kind of slicing their budgets up in terms of we're going to invest so much in big bets and so much in line extensions? Do they look at it that way or, or is it a you know, type of innovation? How, how are they kind of – what are the lenses to the portfolio are they using?
0: Yeah, I think it's important to look at it by a number of different dimensions. So there's growth horizon. So how many how many – short-term versus medium-term versus long-term, using the Growth Horizons model to allocate investment. Some do it by geography. Some do it by technology. 3M is a classic example. They're going to invest in certain platforms that they can leverage. And then some do it by yeah, product type. or So yeah, there's a number of different dimensions, which again is really... For that's your strategy. So, you know, what's your what's your mix going to be and then what is it what are you investing in? So that's where that linkage between strategy and investment and, and execution comes in. You need to decide up front what is your portfolio structure going to look like? How are you going to, what are the strategic buckets you're gonna invest in? And from there, that's the top-down piece, and then bottoms up, you see, okay, how are we doing relative to those strategic investment buckets? And then you need to revisit it at a at a certain cadence based on the that we talked about just a second ago about the the pace of your industry. Uh, so those are some of the some of those are some of the basics of an of an innovation strategy. So just identifying those different dimensions of your portfolio, and then and then and then stepping back and looking how we're how we're doing relative to those dimensions.
1: Good advice. Good advice. A lot of a lot of us are trying to get better at portfolio management. So those are some some great points of advice. Great perspective. No, is there anything interesting you've seen from a industry news or NPD news that you could share that you've kind of said, "Hey, that's pretty interesting."
0: I'm definitely f- fascinated with how companies are handling this challenge of of new growth. And so, I, I think, like I said earlier, I think we're still in the early stages of that from building that capability. So you've seen, you know, the incubator model. You've seen the you know, innovation lab, the outpost. And I think we're still in the early stages of, of that discipline, how companies are able to set up a capability for developing new business models or new sources of growth while still maintaining their and and growing their core business. The the ability to do that is really going to differentiate the leaders from the laggards. And, and it's just, it's, and it's all driven by the pace of change. You just, you know, you just can't, you know, the, these days, you just can't maintain or even grow your, your core business. You have to be thinking about the kid in a laptop in India who can, who can disrupt your company, right? So, so, so the companies that are, are learning to do that well, I mean, I, I know Amazon's used over and over again as a classic example how they've, they've jumped to a new, a new business with you know, AWS or, or you know, the grocery business or you know, even going from selling books to becoming a marketplace. They've been able to do it over and over again. Now it helps to have a an entrepreneurial founder who 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 is able you know has that that kind of a vision. Not not every company has that or has has the the resources. I, I think that's a model that you know a lot of companies need to need to think about. Well, how 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 can we become in in our own world? How can we manage both the core and the ex the the core and the exploratory sides of our business?
1: Yeah, I've had a a number of companies tell me they're. They're interested in the startup model. So engaging startups as part of your core innovation where it used to all be in-house. Now it's okay, can we engage two or three universities or startups? And maybe they become acquisition targets, maybe they don't, but 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 really getting a different pace of innovation by moving on to maybe a, a broader ecosystem outside the their own their own walls.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the the open innovation has been around for for decades now and, but it's become more, it's less transactional, more less about licensing in a technology or buying a a startup. I'm really fascinated by those that, and I think we're going to see more and more of it is, is co-creating with startups co uh, where you have, you know, the actually the startups are involved as early as what, what, you know, what are, let's get aligned on a strategy. They have a lot to say about that, but having, uh, the, the 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 benefits of a startup being nimble agile being able to you know just uh, take take risk you combine that with the resources of a of a large corporate and there there's there's a lot of value there that whole that whole domain of co-creating with startups i think i think that's another you know another practice i think we need to keep our eyes on i think i think some the companies that are doing that well are are figuring out that you know we 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 can't do it all on our on our own, and there's some there's some co creation opportunities if we partner.
1: Yeah, and I I, I know that we and Sophion are thinking about this as well, and I think there's business opportunities out there to find the right startups. You know, if you're a corporation, well, how do you find ones to engage with given a given technology or opportunity? And I think we'll see we'll see a lot of people thinking and focusing and trying to help out, trying to connect the startups with the uh, with the people that the larger companies who are trying to innovate. So I think, I just know it's a very active area where I've been focused.
0: Yeah, there's there's technology scouts. There's certain uh, yeah. uh, ecosystems, you know, around the world where there's formal programs. A good friend of mine, Mike Doherty, who kind of wrote the book on co-creating with startups, he's he's doing some really cool things in the Pittsburgh area with the university infrastructure there, the startup ecosystem there, and then bringing in Lark large corporates and almost being like a matchmaker, he, he has this process called speed dating. Where you literally match <laughs> yeah. corporates with startups and and you learn, you know, you, you learn and you expose yourself and there's even software that enables, you know, there's there's several platforms. I'm sure you're familiar with Paul that connecting companies with a pro a well-defined problem. And is there some, is there a solution out there or can somebody create a solution out there? There's interesting case studies for sure about the, the open Open innovation concept and how just going outside of your four walls to solve tough technical or or business model problems that that's something that there's some exciting things happening in
1: that area absolutely a lot of innovation right there right at that particular singular singular problem well noel, just to, you know one last question I would ask you is where do you see things in five years
0: so yeah one area that is worth keeping an eye on is just this digital just becomes more and more prevalent. Digital, whether it be AI or, or machine learning, whatever, whatever form of digital, if it solves a, solve a customer problem, I'm just a big, big believer that you need to fall in love with the problem, not the solution. So, there's more opportunities to solve some big problems because of some of the technologies that are available to us today. So whatever that brings us, um, I think, again, it starts with identifying what are the problems that are worth worth solving out there. And then you start thinking about, okay, what are some of the new technologies we can use to solve those problems? So there's some exciting things happening out there in that, in that domain.
1: Well, Noel, we could talk for hours. (laughs) You have so many experience that I'm sure our listeners would, would love to hear, but I think we have to, Probably cut it. Cut it for this time. I hope you'll come back some other time because I think you've got uh, so much more you can say. But I do want to thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you, Paul. Enjoyed it, and, and absolutely love to come back and, and, and do a deep dive in any, any one of these topics. It was fun.
1: Yeah, great, great. And if anybody listening wants to uh, suggest some topics, we'd uh, we'd we'd love to hear from you. You can certainly send us an email. The contact information is. It will come up in our closing comments. Noel, one last question. If people want to find you and connect with you, what's a good way to keep track of you and and follow what you're doing?
0: Yeah, LinkedIn's always a good way to to track me down and just send me a direct message over LinkedIn or at noel.subwoman at changelogic.com.
1: There you go. Well, Noel, good luck on your continued customer session there. I'm I'm jealous. I'm excited that somebody out there is actually on site with people again. Pave the way for the rest of us because we're going to be right behind you soon. Yeah, yeah. uh, No more virtual
0: whiteboards. I was so excited (laughs) to to actually write on a real whiteboard today. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, that's
1: (laughs) for sure. And look people in the eye. See that you're connecting in a different way. All right, Noel, all the best and uh, have a great day. And to everybody listening in the podcast, thanks for joining us. And we'll be with you again next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at
0: sophian.com.